listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, you can email me at inbox at rallychick.radio. Send us a text at 2057. Oh, we've got a wonderful uh, session coming up now. We've got Jonathan Ailing, the Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union. Good morning, Jonathan. Hi there, Rodney. Did I say your name correctly, your surname? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Where does Ailing come from? Well, um, Welsh, but I don't know. I don't know if it's a it's a Welsh name. It's it's a good question. It's not a very common last name, is it? No. Uh, but um, g- good, good uh, Anglo-Saxon um, uh, stock there. My, my ancestors were Welsh. I, I don't know very much more than that. Well, we love Anglo-Saxon. We love all the Anglo-Saxons w- words. They're always clear and, and, you know, anyone that speaks good Anglo-Saxon speaks so clearly and so well. So a wonderful set of words in the English language. Now, Jonathan, you've taken on the lead role in defending free speech in New Zealand, which is something that a little while ago we'd never thought was needed. No, that's right. And and even if it were needed, you would hope others were stepping into that space, uh, like our Chief Human Rights Commissioner, who are, I would imagine this should be squarely on their agenda. Whereas, unfortunately, it's a number of the very parties that are supposed to be most invested in the democratic rights and civil liberties and, and human rights of their population that are that are the ones infringing it. And so, uh, unfortunately, it's the Minister of Justice and the and the Chief Human Rights Commissioner, who has uh, attempted to bring legislation forward, which would curtail Kiwi's free rights. It's our um, De- Minister of the Department of Internal Affairs, who is now looking to uh, silence speech online. Social media is in for an entire overhaul. And uh, as I think we're going to discuss here, it, it is the academy uh, and the university, which has turned its back on the ideals of liberal education and, and, and free discourse, and some within their midst who are the chief architects of a future censorship regime. That's extraordinary. Uh, where do you think it's coming from, Jonathan? There's there's a number of reasons, uh, and and it's not it's certainly not simply at play here within New Zealand across. Uh, specifically the Anglosphere, but even more broadly across the West, we see uh, many of the Enlightenment values that um, that we've come to take for granted that have been crucial for the liberal expression of democracy that we have in countries like New Zealand. There have been uh, real steps taken against them in, over the past 20 years. Now, now a, a, a very curtailed answer to that would be, you know, um, what, what would be referred to as woke ideologies. But maybe let's scratch below the surface and and look at what uh, some of the the key aspects of those perspectives are. And I would say that there is um, there's an important point to be drawn around identitarian lines. And so that's that's a bit of a nerdy word. And what I mean by that is uh, this way of thinking, which has become increasingly popular, where we are defined more by the various identity groups we form part of, uh, rather than individuals uh, as ourselves. And so this is why we now uh, seem to think that our our particular race or our gender or our sexuality or our um, political preferences or whatever these are might uh, have a more important role in, in what we think and how we feel and, and the values that we have in life than anything we just carry as individuals. 
And the, the basis of the Enlightenment uh, was that the smallest minority is the individual, that, that, that we uh, each think differently, we each feel differently, regardless of uh, our, our gender or our race. And we each have life experience that is valid and we have opinions that should be able to be heard. And uh, what we see is a real refusal to acknowledge any in-group diversity or in-group variance within these collectives that uh, we now place such important value on. And so you ask, where does uh, this opposition to free speech come from? It comes from the fact that I think we have become increasingly suspicious or outright antagonistic to the fact that uh, people should be able to counter our perspectives because we no longer learn and we no longer grow because we're challenged. We, uh, we learn and we grow because we are part of an amorphous group that, that privileges us in way, one way or the, uh, the other. And I, I find this to be a very uh, toxic way of thinking. It's very destructive to the uh, liberal values that have formed the foundations of many countries, particularly those across the West. And I think that is what we are coming up um, really to counter at the moment. Well, it's a nasty thing because we're all pigeonholed and then we're pigeonholed and one people in one pigeonhole are powerful and the oppressors and everyone else is the oppressed, I, the way I see the way it's going, and that language is the tool of the oppressors. That, that's and, right. And and if you can control the language, you can control the debate in every meaningful way. And, that's and why we see I, that now every day. That's right. And I would encourage your listeners then to not let uh, their opponents control the language that they use. Don't, don't give them that kind of power uh, because, and, 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 and uh, you know, I would agree with your listeners on some issues, I'm sure. I disagree with them on other issues, I'm sure. Uh, even your listeners are not an amorphous group. They would agree and disagree amongst themselves. But what we have to do is retain the right to be able to express ourselves openly and freely in the manner that, and, and by that I mean with the words and the language, that is consistent with the arguments that we're putting forward. And this is where um, regulation, whether it, whether it be from governments or from universities or media councils or whatever it is that, that require certain language to be used or certain words to contain only certain meaning, um, is where they can very much then come in and control the entire difference that we're trying to address. It's quite a pernicious uh, issue to have to, um, to face up against. I am uh, fortunate enough to be on the Free Speech Union's email list. And I have to say the emails that you send out, Jonathan, are fantastic. And we all get these various regular emails and they often, you start, oh, I can't be bothered. But I always enjoy yours. And I'd encourage listeners to go to the Free Speech Union and sign up. But this is what really got me going. There's two things I'd like to talk about. I hope we have time for both. But I got this email from you, and it's very kind because it's addressed to me, dear Rodney. But you quote Kate, Kate, Kate Hanna, and this is in a podcast released, would you believe it, by Radio New Zealand. And it's they've done this series, a seven-part series uh, you t- explained to me on misinformation, hosted by their broadcaster, Susie Ferguson. And the quote is this, and I want to just read the bit out of it and then have you explain it to us. The quote is this, language, 
oh dear, I just lost it. Language is the first indicator of genocidality. Genocidality, like genocide. And this is a claim made by Kate Hanna in this podcast. And then you say, this is just propaganda. And you have Ferguson adding this. This is Radio New Zealand. It's genocidal because it's about the eradication of a particular group of people. Explain what's going on here, Jonathan. Well, Rodney, uh, somewhat facetiously, I would note from the outset that genocidality actually isn't a word. So I'm just no. going to call Kate Hanna out on that. But far more seriously, because this is a, an incredibly serious issue, what has been proposed here is the fact that language is the same way, is the same thing, rather, as action. So if you disagree with someone, if if you are a, a, a centre-right voter disagreeing with a centre-left voter, she is claiming here that as you express those beliefs, as you, uh, as you contend with the opposite's perspective, you are wanting to eradicate their ideas. And if, there are, if their ideas are associated with who they are, then you are wanting to eradicate them. And that is why I would say this notion of identity is one of the most powerful things we can reckon with. Who are, I? Who are we? Who am I? And who, how I identify within myself is what I attach myself to. And so then if, if people are countering the ideas that you identify with, they are not countering the ideas. They are countering you. And so what Kate Hannah, I'm going to say out loud what she's saying quietly on issues like transgenderism, but not only that, if you disagree with the notion that uh, gender is biologically defined, if you don't accept that a man can uh, transition to be a woman and reflect their truest selves, then you are not only disagreeing with an idea, disagreeing with a perspective, you are wanting to eradicate, you are wanting to commit genocide across an entire people group, not with violence, not by killing anyone, but because according to Kate Hanna, to counter their perspectives is the same thing as wanting to kill them. And it is a remarkably sinister claim to make that to disagree with someone is not only to hate them. We've seen expressions like that before, and, and the Free Speech Union would consistently insist that to disagree with someone is not necessarily to hate them. It is to disagree with them. And, and mature people can disagree and still remain in relationship. But Kate Hannah's taken it even further than that. And she's saying not only if you disagree with someone, do you hate them? But if you disagree with someone, it is the same thing as wanting them eradicated. And, and you know, I grew up in Mozambique, a country that was deeply troubled by gross atrocities uh, throughout the 80s. I went to school with people who were uh, refugees from the Rwandan genocide, where, of course, we saw what true genocide looks like. And there's a, a, there's a very pernicious manipulation of these examples. I would say Susie Ferguson lists the Rwandan genocide as an example, saying this is how we see that language is uh, the precursor of genocidality. That's why we need to clamp down on ideas that spread hate. Well, actually, what we see is that lang uh, countries that have more regulation of speech 
And that is speech when it is about ideas and differences, not speech when it comes to expressing violence. The Free Speech Union has only ever been entirely clear that the incitement to violence, if you're standing outside a Jewish person's house saying, let's burn the house down, you should absolutely fall afoul of the strictest measures of the law. But if you are discussing ideas and you are not inciting imminent harm, then you are protected by free speech. This is one of the basic tenets of liberal democracies. And we've found through, through the regular research, but one particular um, study that came out of Denmark in 2020, it looked at countries, it looked at over 160 countries from the 1970s through to the 2020s. And it looked at examples of democracies where they had speech restrictions and those that didn't. And there is a direct correlation between countries that have speech restrictions and political violence and those countries that do not have those speech restrictions and less political violence. And there's a very straightforward reason for that, Rodney, if we are willing to think about it for a moment. It's because once you take speech off the table, you do not deal with the differences that we have within our society. Every society, whether we like it or not, will have differences. And I would say it is a very unhealthy thing if our society had no differences. But be that the case or not, our societies will inevitably have differences within them. So will we deal with those differences by inviting the state to pick a winner, to slam its fist on the table and say, and you better get in line? Or do we deal with those differences through one-on-one relationships within our communities, through organic dialogue, through, through speech and reason? And, and it makes sense that if you take speech off the table, the differences are not dealt with, but a, a peaceful form of addressing them is. And that is why I'm concerned with the steps that this government has taken to, to undermine free speech. Thankfully, largely, they have not been successful to date. And I would give the credit entirely to the, to the over 100,000 Kiwis that have stood with us and continue to support our work in ensuring that free speech remains a tenant of Kiwi culture. I would say that Susie Ferguson from RNZ and Kate Hanna have a point that in this election, there is the potential for violence like there hasn't been in previous elections because the government has continued to chip away at our cultural value of free speech, sowing fear, sowing distrust, sowing division around the ideas of if you think differently, then you are my enemy. And unfortunately, well, that is just that, that is so divisive. So... Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson, Kate Hanna receiving taxpayers' money, Susie Ferguson entirely funded by the taxpayer, are saying that anyone that suggests sex is binary and that, yes, you can choose to live as a woman, but you're still a man biologically, and we worry about men getting ready access to girls' changing rooms, because we state that and because we're concerned about the protection for girls and women, we they position us as being against trans people, opposing trans people, wanting to, quote, get rid of trans people, erase them. Therefore, we would are committing genocide, and you often see this now, we are Nazis. Therefore, we have to be shut down 
because merely by questioning the ideology that says you can transition from a man to a woman and back again, by questioning that, that is the hate speech that they want shut down, right? Absolutely. It is hate speech and, and more pertinence to this podcast's consideration. It is disinformation. Uh, disinformation that they get to determine. And that is, um, it, 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 the irony is entirely lost on, unfortunately, both Susie Ferguson and Kate Hanna, but on, on a host of Kiwis who are buying into this way of thinking. The irony is that disinformation is a term that came out of the Soviet Union uh, not long after the Bolshevik Revolution, I believe it was in the 1920s. In the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, when, when the modern international human rights framework was going forward, it was the Soviet Union that was pushing for hate speech to be prohibited. It was Western countries like the United States that was defending free expression as an indispensable foundation on which all free societies must be built. Lady Bird Johnson, um, the widow of, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who, uh, who um, was also present at, at the formation of the United Nations, she said that the clash of ideas is the sound of freedom. And I, I think that is such an apt illustration that, that we must be allowed to contest these perspectives as ideas, as ways of thinking that do not define who we are. It is very medieval, all things considered. If what I think, and in, in, in medieval ages, it may have been the religion that you adhere to, but if, if the opinions that you hold dictate the value that you have in society, how archaic and oppressive is that? And and the irony is is lost on many who try and perpetrate a similar structure today. But to everyday people like me, I look at Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson and what they've said here, and I just think they're insane, right? That they've stepped off reality. And I almost I don't even know how to talk to them or talk with them. And so we Ordinary, everyday people like me, we just go around shaking our head, thinking, what is wrong with them that they could ever get to this point to be saying that? But they appear to genuinely believe it. And let's be clear, they have control of the media. This way of thinking is right through the media, from the owners down to the editors, down to the journalists. It is right through our civil service, as you say, right through the academy, the universities, and right through our government, our political leaders. So this has happened, right? This is everyone with power and a platform is on board with this stuff, happily saying that you and me. Uh, they don't say we're like Nazis, they say we are Nazis. I, I agree with you to an extent there, Rodney, though what I consistently try to encourage people to think about is really how power is distributed in a country like ours. And and these these institutions that you referenced, then you're bang on with the ones that you've identified, the academy, the media, parliament, 
these are culture creating institutions. These are the the institutions within our society that really fabricate the way that we think and the values that we have. But that being said, there has been an enormous amount of ground lost by these institutions. Trust in our institutions is at, as far as I know, an all-time low. Mm. And it is because, and this is one of the comments I make in the newsletter that you, you, you were discussing, it is because they have misunderstood their responsibility, which is actually to defend the basic freedoms and the basic liberties of everyday people in New Zealand. They've misunderstood their role as somehow to now become the overlords ideologically of what we should think and say. And so that is why only about 40% of Kiwis readily trust mainstream media. So so there's a lot of people that watch the six o'clock news and that might listen to Susie Ferguson's podcast, but have a real suspicion from the outset as to what they're saying, because they recognize that they have abused their position and that they are abandoning the values that they were created to defend. And so I have more hope in that regard. Uh, Equally, I, I would say the fact that hate speech laws have not passed is a testament to the people power of everyday Kiwis. And if we did it once, we will absolutely be able to do it again. Chris, uh, Chris Farfoy, who was the minister initially in charge of ensuring the ha- uh, hate speech laws went through, of course, before Kerry uh, Tapu Allen took over the helm, which uh, has had its an ending of its own. But um, Chris Farfoy said that the hate speech laws would be in place by Christmas 2021. Well, I'm very, very pleased that the Free Speech Union, along with another uh, a number of other organisations, we're able to push back against that. And, and, and we continue to push back in the academy. We produce an annual report on, uh, on academic freedom there, which draws a lot of attention as to how academics feel they are able to in, engage in research of their choice and other features of academic. We, we're starting to engage in media a lot more and getting some traction in countering these narratives. So while I agree that these uh, elite institutions have lost their way I don't. I don't want our work to be a doom and gloom mm. enterprise. I believe well, there's there's real hope as well. You had a great win, and we saw the manifestation of this discussion with Posey Parker, Jelly Kelly J King, when she visited New Zealand and spoke in the public square, and it was physically violent physically violent in the sense of people screaming and shouting abuse so she couldn't be heard, and then physical violence where she was assaulted and members of the audience were beaten. Now, this is a direct consequence of this hyperbolic language that you're seeing here from Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson, where people that whom with whom they disagree uh, are genocidal Nazis, right? That, that's uh, right. And, and there's an irony in their claims there they're, they're on, on a number of levels. But one of them is, is a famous um, encouragement that Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister in, uh, in, in uh, Germany in the late 30s, early 40s, he encouraged his followers to accuse their opponents of the crimes that they committed. And I think mm. that is actually exactly what is occurring here. Yeah. That's, uh, that we, that the, the spokespersons involved here around disinformation are saying that it is a concerted effort 
to undermine democracy. And yet they are the ones that are silencing the voices of everyday Kiwis from being able to speak openly and express themselves. And you know what? Everyday Kiwis don't always get it right. I'm not saying that everyone is saying what is correct. I'm saying they have the rights to be wrong. And the only way that we can find out what we're wrong about is by being able to express it freely and have it challenged. And, mm. and so I would say there's, there's an incredible irony that they are accusing people of violence while standing up with exactly communities that, that have in, embraced violence in the past. And you've had a win, the Free Speech Union, with Posey Parker, because you and your members have put pressure on the Independence Police Complaints Authority, making a complaint. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yes, so uh, again, uh, credit goes to the tens of thousands of Kiwis that stood with us. Within within really uh, two or three days, it was about 72 hours following the Albert Park affair where Kelly J. King Minshall was there, we had a public letter signed almost 25,000 times that called uh, for the police commissioner and the police minister to address that uh, that consider that concerning um, uh, experience for many people there, and and shortly after that, we were invited to meet with the police commissioner. We appreciated that, and uh, we'll again be meeting with the district commanders across the country uh, next month to continue our engagement to ensure that free speech is at the forefront of their concerns. But we're also very pleased that the Independent Police Conduct Authority is conducting a review into the inaction of police at that uh, at that event. And I was there at the back observing it, and uh, the police were largely at the back of that event as well. And I heard a woman come up and say, Posey Parker is in the rotunda and she can't escape. You have to help her. And the policeman said, she's in a public space. If she doesn't feel safe, she needs to leave. And that is a simply unacceptable comment for, from a police officer and the opposite of really the purpose of police. The role of, of police is to ensure that law-abiding citizens and, and those conducting lawful activity are able to go about their business not being harassed by those who are conducting themselves in unlawful ways. And so for them to say she needs to leave if she feels unsafe, it was the opposite of what really should have happened there. And it wasn't, it didn't take a genius to figure out that there was going to be a conflict there. Now, allow me to be clear, the Free Speech Union absolutely stands up for the, the right to protest of the counter-protesters. And so actually we had prepared for that event, ready to go and defend the rights of those who were challenging Kelly J. Keene Minshall. They have a right to have their voices expressed and heard as well but not through intimidation and violence. And that is where the line for free speech was crossed and the police needed to insert themselves and they didn't. And that is where the IPCA uh, complaint was lodged and why we need to see it addressed. Equally, uh, on the same day that uh, the podcast that we're discussing was initially dropped, uh, Kelly J. Keen Minchel actually announced that she will be returning to New Zealand in September. And we are certain that just like last time when she intended to come, there will be a legal challenge where uh, the Minister of Immigration will be asked and called upon to 
deny her entry into the country. In in March, when she came to New Zealand the first time, the Free Speech Union uh, joined as interveners in that court case and argued in favour of her speech rights. But not only her speech rights, the speech rights of, of Kiwis who want to hear from her as well. So free speech doesn't only guarantee you the right to speak, it guarantees you the right to hear other people speak. And, and hear their perspective and opinions. And that was one of the features that was denied in March when she first came. And so we will, again, be uh, fighting in court if necessary, and we have a strong suspicion it will be necessary, to give uh, those Kiwis the right to hear her ideas and allow her entry into the country. It's, it's a remarkably dangerous precedent for us to set that we would deny people access based on their political views on an issue like this that is so considerably contested in our society. Yes, well, I would allow a Holocaust denier into New Zealand. And here, so I'm a free speech, probably like you, absolutist. Uh, of course, we know the limits. Um, and they're sort of like a taught limit. And we know the need to protect children. But for everything else, um, you let people express their views. Why? Because they're an individual human being. And uh, if they can be stopped, then so can I and so can you. Uh -huh. So we understand that perfectly. But, the, of course, the crazy thing about um, Kelly J. Keen Mintzel, thank you for helping me with her name, um, is her actual claims are unbelievably modest. You know, her, her, her point, as I follow it, because it's been very, very hard through the hubbub and the noise, to get to what she's saying is to simply say, look, trans people can do their thing. We live in a free world, but we need to protect uh, women's sports and women's private spaces, full stop, for men. And that seems a very, very reasonable point. It's not like you're out on the edge trying to just defend someone who's saying something that uh, is off. And even then we wouldn't. We'd defend their right to say something that's off. But this is extraordinary that in the media and in the lead up to her visit and what you're seeing here with Kate Hanna and Susie Ferguson is that she's a genocidal Nazi. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let you hold your point there, Rodney, uh, with regards to whether these views are controversial or not. I don't feel that that's even even. The, the, so let me be clear. Not, yeah, no, you're quite right. It's not even an issue. I guess that well, I agree with you. Well, no, and 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 you you may make that claim. That's certainly not my claim. To those who identify uh, with the transgender community, whether as transgender people themselves or or what they might call allies, this is a significant issue. And 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 I'm I'm not going to take a step. You know, your you, many of your viewers probably don't view Kelly J. Keene Mitchell's claims as provocative or controversial in the slightest, and they have every right to view it that way. For those that do view these claims as very controversial and very problematic. I, I don't want to diminish their rights to disagree fundamentally and in totality with her claims. If they if they want to view them as as hyper controversial, that is fine. We, we must still allow her to speak. And so, um, you know, you, you, fair enough. You're speaking from your perspective, Rodney, and, and absolutely, you have every right to do that. Uh, that that you're saying from your values and your perspective, these views are not controversial. Wonderful. Um, for others, though, 
I can see why they are very controversial. And so I, I wouldn't, as I think you were saying, uh, even, you were saying even if they were controversial, we wouldn't silence them. And that's right. I would say um, the, the, the definition of a controversial issue means that some people will consider a statement entirely self-evident and others will consider it very, very problematic. Very, very fair and very well made point. Thank you, Jonathan. That was a wonderfully made point. Um, and of course, it's around controversial matters that free speech matters. That's right. It doesn't matter where we all agree. No, and 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 that's where I think we, uh, largely as a, as a culture and as a society, we have entirely lost uh, the 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 point of free speech. Um, and uh, and so what we need to remember is exactly that that free speech defends the rightful provider provocative and problematic statements, not, mm. not the ones we, we, we mm. disagree on. And a point that I, I relish in making is the fact that free speech defends the powerless and the marginalized, not the powerful. And, and what critics of free speech, like Kate Hanna, often say is that uh, free speech is used as a big stick to beat down the powerless. But in reality, you know, let, let, let's, let's concede Kate Hanna's point for a moment, that straight white men uh, benefit from patriarchy and, and colonialism to such an extent that they are necessarily powerful and privileged. Let, let, let's accept that for one moment. If that were true, why would straight white men need free speech? We, yes. we have privilege and power. We, we, we could simply resort to our wealth and, 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 and connections rather than appeal to a cultural value that says everyone should be allowed to speak. On the contrary, it's those who don't have power it's those who have no other, uh, no no other rope to climb, no no other lever to pull, other than insisting that it is a liberal democratic value that even the most powerless, even the most downtrodden, should still be allowed to speak freely. And so this is where it is actually a very authoritarian and a very elitist um, way of, of 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 thinking to say that we must limit free speech on behalf of the marginalised. Yes. What we're doing there is actually harming a cultural value that, first of all, protects the marginalized. It was Jonathan Rauch, the, the, the famous American journalist, who said, uh, and a member of a minority group he is himself, he said, free speech is not minorities' best friend. Free speech is minorities' only friend. And I think that that illustrates very well the fact that if we if we take away, even in the name of minority groups, the belief in a society that we should be allowed to express ourselves freely. The people we do the greatest disservice to are those that will not be able to speak now because they cannot appeal to privilege or power. Well, Jonathan, you're a very wonderful and articulate spokesperson. Very, very uh, great insight and intelligence. Able even in full flight to correct your the humble host here. Uh, your emails are erudite and uh, wonderful to receive. How do listeners sign up to get your, what are they, weekly, Jonathan? You put them out irregularly? Regularly. We put them out as as we feel like we have something interesting that our people would want to hear. Okay, and how, I, do, how do listeners get a hold of those emails? The best way to access that would be by making a submission at freespeechsubmission.com. freespeechsubmission.com. That is where we're currently running submissions against the Department of Internal Affairs amendments to reform our censorship regime. And we haven't had a chance to discuss this yet, uh, Rodney, but I've discussed it with Paul previously, yes. that 
At the moment, DIA is proposing to regulate social media in a way that censorship has never imagined in New Zealand. And and whether whether DIA want to uh, admit it or not, what they are proposing is the greatest extension of censorship New Zealand would have ever seen. And we've just released this morning polling that shows only 25% of Kiwis are aware of the uh, reforms that the Department of Internal Affairs is currently proposing. So it's very important we get the word out and that well, we encourage submissions. So that's that's through till next Monday, through to the end of the month. Uh, we've set up a website where you can do a submission through our tool there in less than five minutes. And by doing that submission, you will also land on our email list and, and receive those regular updates from us. Okay. Jonathan, if you get a spare hour over that submission period, drop me a note. And we'll spend an hour where you walk us through what the Department of Internal Affairs is proposing for the regulation of social media. So we've all got a good understanding and can all sign up uh, that petition. Would you do that for us? Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Rodney. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan, That was Jonathan Ayling, the Chief Executive of the Free Speech Union, wonderful organisation. Shocking that it's even needed, but as you can tell, a man that's up for the fight and more than able to make the case. You're on uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening. Again, that was Jonathan Ayling from the Free Speech Union. Man, oh, man, he's good. Uh, thank you for listening. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And that was Jonathan Ayling from the Free Speech Union. And there you have it. Who would have believed it? Free speech under threat here in New Zealand. Submissions close Monday. We've got to stop it, ladies and gentlemen. So let's reach out to everyone and make a submission. Uh, the wonderful, the magical uh, Katie Ashby Copens, a uh, fantastic person. She's put together some helpful tips for submission on these online censorship laws. Let me please play the short public service announcement, which explains, which has her explaining how easy it is to lodge submissions. Take it away, Katie. Hi, I'm Katie Ashby-Coppins. You may have heard me on Reality Check Radio's Legal Hub on breakfast on Wednesday mornings. This is a public service announcement to remind you that feedback on the government's proposal, as outlined in the Safer Online Services and Media Platforms consultation document, is due Monday 31 July 2023. Now, given that mouthful, I prefer to call the proposals by what they really are online censorship laws. What is being proposed is a serious threat to free speech. These online censorship laws, if enacted, would effectively make certain speech illegal under the guise of keeping us safe. Now, we've done the heavy lifting so you don't have to. We've summarised the proposals, we've outlined how the censorship laws will impact on free speech, and we've let you know how you can have your say. Our easy-to-use submission template means that for as little as five minutes of your time before the end of this month, you can make your voice heard. Visit www.defendfreespeech.co.nz today. That's www.defendfreespeech, or one word, .co.nz. Make no mistake, these proposals are squarely aimed at media organisations like Reality Check Radio. Free speech is a fundamental human right and is under serious attack. Without free speech, we are not free. Please take action today. Do it for yourself, but also do it for our future generations. Visit www.defendfreespeech.co.nz today. Thank you.
www.rcr.co.nz to learn more. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.